What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is the Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also Ethos Fantasy BB, guys. That is the account to really be focusing on right now. All of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content will be posted out from there. So please make sure, E-T-H-O-S, Fantasy BB, that you are following over there. Now, today we are going to mix things up a little bit. You guys know, if you listen to the show these last couple days, that I'm in Arizona right now. I'm surrounded by fantasy baseball analysts, and I'm constantly in great conversation with a lot of them. And I just wanted to talk about a couple of cool little points uh, that I've heard, specifically yesterday. I'm not going to give away a hell of a lot of stuff here, but just some little bits of information uh, for you guys who maybe couldn't come out, or maybe just, you know, you're interested in hearing what these analysts have to say in the offseason, but maybe there's not many podcasts talking about it. So maybe you wanted to check out this one. That's what we're going to be doing today for the most part. It's not going to be a terribly long show. I also do want to quickly talk about the golf game we had yesterday because it was hilarious, honestly. We get out there, and we're about to start our round. You know, we went to the driving range, hit the balls around for, I guess, half an hour or so. We get to the first hole, and we start getting completely poured on. Like, it was, it was I wouldn't call it torrential. I guess that's probably a little bit too strong of a word. But we got absolutely soaked in the first two holes. We're sitting there just so miserable, thinking, oh, my God, like, what, what are we doing here? We, we were thinking, really, about going back to the clubhouse and waiting it out. We ended up sticking it out. It got sunny, of course. It's going to get sunny here eventually. We're in Arizona. It did get sunny. We, we dried off, and we had a great time on the golf course. Apologies to Chris Olson if he is listening. I hit him with a golf ball yesterday, which I could not do if I had tried probably 100 million times. I'd never be able to do it again. Uh, but he did catch an errant uh, stray shot yesterday. So, Chris, my apologies if you are listening. But that was really a, a great part of coming out here. I was, I don't know, there were so many different pieces to look forward to that I didn't really have one thing in my head where it's like, I need to do, th- I mean, this is the thing that I want to do, and then everything else kind of falls behind. Everything is kind of on equal footing in terms of how I'm prioritizing it, in terms of, like, you know, how, how fun I think it will be, the golf the baseball panels, the live podcast, just talking in the bar with a bunch of random baseball analysts. Like, it's, there are so many great things. So, first of all, if you guys, I'm assuming, if you're listening to this, you're probably not here because there's a lot of stuff to be doing here, and I'm a crazy person recording a podcast from Arizona. I mean, they're doing live pods as part of the program. I'm just sitting here in my Airbnb doing a podcast. But I'm assuming you guys couldn't make it out if you are listening right now. It's something I would really recommend in the future. It is a great time. It is fantastic. And you learn a lot of different things. And last night, talking with some really interesting people who a few of them have been on the show before, I think that you guys would probably be interested in hearing some of the things they had to say. So the first thing that I do want to mention here is Jose Barrios. And I was talking about Jose Barrios with Nick Pollock. Nick Pollock, the founder of PitcherList, you guys know Nick. He is not a Barrios guy. Like, he has coined him the great undulator. He's the great up and down kind of guy. You never really know what you're going to get on him. Now, earlier in the season, Nick was a little bit more optimistic about Barrios, and when I talked to him last night, it's like, no. His ADP in early drafts is, I think, 213, and Nick said he wouldn't even budge there. And when I was talking with him, I said, well, I don't, maybe giving him a little bit of devil's advocate, because obviously Nick knows pitching better than most. But I was saying, what's really the harm at 213 at that point, you know, especially if you're talking like a 12-teamer at that point, it's, it's a very late pick. It's not very high risk, and he can give you, you know, hypothetically, 30 starts of like a 3-5 ERA, which is incredibly valuable. Nick's point last night, it was, you can't really drop him after one bad start because it's Jose Barrios and there's that name value. And the question will become, when would you ever drop him? Would you drop him after two bad starts, three, four, five, like we saw this year? 
And it's a great point because I, as a Blue Jay fan, probably have some built-in, I do have some built-in bias towards Jay's players. I tend to be a little more optimistic about their futures. And I think Barrios will, I mean, he's not a, a above five ERA kind of pitcher. He's not that bad. He is like an upper threes kind of guy, low fours maybe is where he'll maybe settle in here. It, it's, it's not five though. It's, it's somewhere probably a full run below. And I think maybe because of the Blue Jay lens, I'm a little more optimistic but what Nick was saying is like, you know, you'll have four or five bad starts from Brios, and then maybe you drop them. And that's maybe not the likeliest outcome, but it's certainly like, I don't know, this year was really ugly. I don't know how many of you guys had Brios on your rosters, but he was terrible and he was awful and he did not inspire confidence. So picking him next year, you're going to have to, you know, take a deep breath and hit that draft button because it's going to be a little bit stressful to take him, even though he's going pretty low in drafts. Like looking at his... Um, his indicators, his pitching indicators, which is like expected ERA and whatnot, they're a little bit better than his actual ERA, but they're still not lighting the world on fire. He had a 5.23 ERA, a 5.11 x ERA, a 4.55 FIP, and a 4.21 x FIP. Nothing really that promising. And the thing that really kind of worried me was the strikeouts for Barrios this year. He was below 20% for the first time since his rookie year, which he started 14 games. He was awful in that season. Yeah, he had above eight ERA. He was not he was not ready for the bigs yet. Every year since he's been like a 25, 23 in that kind of range. This year, just south of 20, 19.8%. He's not walking that many batters. I mean, six percent, still very good. So it's not a horrible thing, but losing that kind of percentage on your strikeout numbers is is, is not great for sure. Uh, if you just look back at the last couple of seasons for him, 26, 25, 23, 25. And then to go down to 20 is definitely not very promising. His BABIP was, I mean, it was, I think, the worst, second worst behind Kevin Gosman this year. He allowed a 328 BABIP. That will probably go down a little bit, but, I mean, we can't expect it to be that much different. I'm, I'm pretty worried about Jose Barrios, and Nick was pro probably talking some sense into me, honestly, because as a Jays fan, I tend to look at things of, you know, it's, it'll be fine. It'll, it'll be all right with this team, whatever the case is, whether it's Bichette's fielding, or, you know, when we acquired Maryfield or Springer's injuries, I tend to want to be a little more optimistic, but it's good to have these uh, sober second thoughts here from guys like Nick. So I really appreciate those kind of conversations. Another one that was kind of interesting here was with Scott Chu and Patrick Davitt. We were having this one closer to the end of the night. Scott Chu from Pitcher List and Patrick Davitt, the host of Baseball HQ Radio. We were talking about some hot streaks and when do you add a hitter, when do you drop a hitter, and this is, this is really hard and it's something that no one really knows for sure. And we were using the example of Elvis Andrews because if you added him at a certain point, specifically in a Roto League, you, you probably won your league. If you added him, I can't remember exactly when he turned it on, I guess it was middle of August or somewhere in the middle of August, I believe, is when he really got going and he gave you like 10 home runs and 10 steals down the stretch. If you were able to add him, it was really good. Now, he did tail off down the end of the season, and maybe if it was a head-to-head -head league those last couple of weeks, he might have killed you. And that's where, I mean, different formats are obviously very important. But also just talking with these guys, Scott Chu does the hitter list over at Pitcher List, uh, funny enough. But we were talking about when exactly do you buy into these numbers. After three days, is it after four days of a hot streak? Is it after a week? Is it after a month? When do you exactly buy in? And on the reverse side, when do you decide to drop a player when they start to go down? And with the example of Andrews specifically, I mean, we're not going to be big on Andrews heading into next year. There's no point to be. But with a guy like that who is not in a great stage of his career, I think he's like 33, he's been on a downward trajectory for a number of years. And if you look at a lot of the numbers, like the rolling charts, they're not good. 
um, for the most part. So a guy like him, when he does get hot like that, he's somebody where you can go and add him, and it's not really going to hurt you, depending on your – I mean, probably not in a 10-team league in most cases. I mean, this year he did probably have some 10-team value for a while. It's not really the move you'd want to be going for, though. He's a guy where as soon as you start to see the, the peak and he starts to go down – you probably just have to quickly drop him. And he's the one that we were talking about specifically, but this can apply to a lot of players when you see a guy who's kind of just a, an okay dude really go on a hot streak. You have to look, first of all, behind the scenes a little bit. Why is he on such a hot streak? Is there you know, a change in the way he's swinging? Is he avoiding certain pitches? Is he only swinging at pitches in the zone? There are so many different factors that go into it. But for the most part, when you see – a subpar hitter start to do incredible things like we saw Andrews do, you can't really buy into it long-term. It's going to be more of a, a week or two if you want to stream the guy in, then absolutely. But knowing when to drop these guys is just as important as knowing when to add them. You add up a guy on a hot streak, he hits you, you know, three home runs or steals a couple bases in a week, and you think, okay, shit, you know, this is, this is great. I'm going to hold on to this guy, whatever. And you, maybe you're looking at it with the wrong lens because he's given you decent production since you've added him. I've added this guy up, and he's gone 8 for 17 with two homers and a steal. I'm not going to drop him. He's blah, blah, blah. But a lot of these times with these guys who do go on these random little hot streaks, we'll hold them for a little bit longer than we probably should. We will hold them for maybe a week or two longer than we maybe should because they've been producing for us. And that's where you end up just killing all the value you had and adding him during that hot streak, whoever the player is, because then that 8 of 17 with a couple home runs in one week turns into, you know, 10 for 42 or 10 for 50 or something, you know, something much, much worse, which is not still terrible, but you're losing that great peak value that you would have had if you picked the guy up when he was, you know, right about to get hot or just, you know, one or two games into his hot streak and then dropped him you know, the second that you started to see signs of trouble. That is something that we really have to remember. Obviously, this varies on a case-by-case basis like everything else does in fantasy. But as a rule of thumb, you start to see guys who probably shouldn't be going on. You know, Owen Miller at the beginning of this season also comes to mind. Um, that's another one. We saw him getting really hot in the first month of the year. And I said, sell this guy. He is not going to be able to maintain this. It's just not in him at this. I don't, I don't think it's in him at any point really but specifically this year I was not big on Owen Miller he started the year off batting like 340 and I was putting out some sell high tweets and people were giving me some pushback saying he can do this he can, he can maintain this and I did not believe it and he's another guy in that exact same boat if you want to try and sell high on these guys that's probably the best way to do it with Elvis Andrews probably hard mid late season I mean pretty much late season to do that something to remember though for the beginning of next year let's say you draft a guy with your last couple of picks you know, two, three, four hundred, however deep your league is, let's say it's one of your last couple of picks, and they start the season off absolutely on fire. That is a case where you can probably try and sell. If it's mid, late year, people already generally kind of know what's going on, but as we go into a new season, people generally just wipe away everything, you know. That's why we got people like Owen Miller who are being added up, because people are like, oh, okay, maybe this is the year for him, you know. Likely not going to happen, didn't happen. So, I mean, that's something where I'm not trying to toot my horn here, but it's just the same kind of general principle. You see a guy who's just a guy really on fire, it's probably not something to buy into unless there are tangible changes behind the scenes. He's swinging the better launch angle. He's hitting the ball harder or whatever. He's seeing fastballs. There has to be more data behind the scenes just then. He's had a good couple of games. Let's go at him up. One last point that I want to make here. I thought this was probably the most, maybe the most interesting thing I heard all day yesterday. 
It was from Ariel Cohen, Derek Cardi, and Tristan Cockcroft. They were doing a live Beat the Shift podcast last night, and they were talking about the predictability of injuries and how we as an industry might maybe overestimate our ability a little bit to say, yeah, this guy is a fade, this guy is a must-roster player. And, oh, I mean, Whit Merrifield was used as an example there as somebody who was being drafted, you know, in the 30s this season. And by the end of the year, he was, you know, platooning for the Blue Jays. He turned it on eventually. And I think he got the starting rollback for those last few games and into the playoffs. But, I mean, he was definitely a disappointment for somebody you drafted way high up who is known as the durability monster. And that's just, I think, such a great point that – we don't really know what the hell we're talking about in any fantasy sports. Yes, you can make predictions. You can look behind the scenes. You can say this should happen, that should happen, and this should happen. But at the end of the day, anything could happen. So you draft, you know, Freddie Freeman was an example they used yesterday. The face of consistency, 160 games, 159 games. What if he gets hurt this year? You know, they were making the argument that Freddie Freeman could be picked in the same, you know, same general grouping as Aaron Judge, you know, maybe even take him above Aaron Judge. And you, you could make that argument. I don't think it's, like, ridiculous to make that argument. Um, but, you know, you're doing it because you think he's more durable. That, that's probably the problem there. We don't know that he's any more durable than anybody else just because he has been recently. I mean, 2015 and 2017, he missed some time. It could be a season like that. He could, you know, you know knock on wood, God forbid, he could, like, break his foot the first day of the season or something and miss the whole year or miss most of the year. And then where's that durability? And then next year it'll probably be – Freddie Freeman is injury prone, you know, because we are just such a knee-jerk reaction kind of group of people here, which is just kind of the way that fantasy sports works, you know. What have you done for me lately is very, very apparent in fantasy sports. But I don't think we can look too much into games played in previous seasons as an indicator of what a guy is going to do in future years. Derek Cardi was making that point, and it really makes a lot of sense to me to not just draft a guy because he's played 160 games every season. And I felt guilty of this a little bit myself with Vladimir Guerrero. I will fall guilty of it because he's a durable dude. Like, he's a big, durable dude. He's going to be out there regularly. But what if he's not? Like, I think he's missed three games these last two seasons. He's played a lot. He's not – I mean, he's in good shape, but he's a big boy, right? I mean, he's probably at some point going to get injured in his career. I'm saying that as a Jays fan. I don't mean to wish ill will upon him. I love the guy. Um, but – you know, there will be a year at some point where he's not playing 160 games. If you look at the careers of anybody in the major leagues post-2005, 2000 even, you're, if you just look at everybody's whole career, you're not seeing, you know, 162, 162, 162, 162, 162. There's the odd player that has done it here and there. Merrifield did it for a few years. You have your Cal Ripkins and whatnot. But regularly, genuinely, that's not something that happens. So you shouldn't factor that in too much to your draft plans. On the opposite side, you can avoid guys because of injury, but we don't really know if a guy is going to stay injured long-term. Like Byron Buxton, I don't think he's going to be healthy. I don't think Alberto Mondesi is going to be healthy either. But if either of those guys plays 162 games, then they're going to be incredibly valuable. Like Mondesi especially, I think if he can play – it's a thing. I can't even like take it seriously saying Mondesi playing 162 games because it's just not going to happen. But if he were to do that, then he could be a first-round player. He would be a first-round player, very likely. So it's, it's very tricky to gauge value specifically just based on time played and how much time you expect a guy to miss. He only played 12 games, whatever, last year and 13 the year before. He could play 140 this year. You know, you could put, look at it on the other side of the equation of there's not a lot of mileage on him these last couple of years nursing through injuries, but he hasn't actually been running a lot. I mean, you have to assume <laughs> – you have to assume he hasn't been running a lot. I think it was – I can't remember if it was the ACL or the Achilles now. 
I think it was the ACL. Probably hasn't been running too much. Probably hasn't been swinging the bat too much. Maybe he comes out next year. Maybe it's with the Royals. Maybe he gets non-tendered and he goes somewhere else. And maybe he just has a fire lit under his ass and he goes out there and hits 15 home runs, steals 50 bases, and he would be a first-round talent. The point here is we just don't know. Not that you take stupid chances because he could be a great first, second, third-round player. It doesn't mean we take him there. But he could end up there, and then we'd be looking at the end of the year scratching our heads saying, I don't know. I don't know how he stayed healthy. And on the other side, you could see a Guerrero miss the whole season with an injury. God, I hate even saying that. But And then we'd say, I don't even know. Because you can't predict injuries. You just can't do it. It's part of fantasy. It's a part of sports, and it happens across all sports. And it's very important to remember that when you're picking guys, don't, don't pick a guy because he's durable. That's not, that's not a good reason. And you'll, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. But I think you'll probably end up regretting it if that is your main reason or one of your main important reasons going into your drafts. But guys, that's going to wrap it up for us for today and for the week. I really appreciate you guys continuing to check out the show. It means a hell of a lot to me. Follow me over on Twitter, at JoeArico99. That one's not as important as Ethos Fantasy BB right now. Go check that one out. I'm sure most of you guys are already following over there. But make sure you do hit the follow button. Subscribe to the pod. Download. Leave some kind words in the comment section if you would be so kind. And we will see you again on Monday. We'll pick it back up. Maybe we'll do one more episode of... uh, looking back at the fall league and looking at FPAS in general, and then we'll get back into outfielders at some point next week. So guys, stay safe, take care, and we'll see you on Monday. Cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.